0: Hey, welcome to Home Church Podcast. It is a good day to have a good day. I'm Pastor Jerry Kuhn, and I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. My hope is that you will respond to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you in and through this message today. And I believe that he will draw you into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, where you are passionate about loving God, doing good, and being a friend. I hope that you enjoy the message today. Said that um, and you may be seated this morning. My wife said that uh, when we felt released to come back home and to, uh, to plant a church in Tecumseh, God began to uh, throw some songs um, her way and her direction that just um, resonated within her. And um, this one has been around and we've sung it quite often. But um, I love it that even when I don't see it, He's still working. When I don't feel it, He's still working uh, because sometimes. It, to be honest with you, um, I don't think he's working unless I see it. <laughs> I mean, you, you, know how I, you know how it is, right? Um, if we don't see anything moving, then we, we, we consider that perhaps God is not working and he's not behind the scenes or, or um, nothing's changing for our benefit. And uh, so we, if we can't see it, we don't believe it at times. And so I'm thankful that even when I cannot see it, even when I cannot feel it, um, he is still working. Now, <clears throat> I want you to know for some of you who perhaps feel a little chilly we the the heater has been on since we got here, and uh, it is working over time. and so i if you. I uh, came with your lovely wife or your lovely husband. Just you ain't gonna bother me if you snuggle a little bit. It's gonna be all right. All right. Now make sure you know the person beside you before you snuggle. That might be very important. All right. Just making sure you know that. Uh, I mean, it's like uh, I don't even know you. I'm cold. I'm sorry. All right. That's um. It may, may, it's just the way it is. I'm sorry. Uh, someone asked me said, "Now, Pastor, I cannot believe you wore O S U orange today. I didn't. This is just fall colors. I am. I apologize." apologize for any of you today that might be offended that I might be wearing. (laughs) You think OSU colors. This is just fall colors. I just felt like I wanted to end, you know, fall with some beautiful colors. All right. So listen, if you didn't get to make it out um, last night to Bedlam together, we had a great time watching the game. And it was a good game. And listen, yes, I'm looking over to my right. I'm not looking anymore because I'm not looking over there. Dylan, Dylan is throwing a flag Um, Yes. should have been flags thrown. Um, yes, that was past interference. I would have to agree with you, um, and all of us know <laughs> that was past interference. But um, at the end of the day, uh, who are you going to argue with? I mean, it, it is it is what it is, all right? And so I'm thankful that I was able to, to pay those guys off, and we won, all right? So... Um, <laughs> Uh, Thank you for your money, home church. (laughs) Keep giving. We'll keep paying those guys off now. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I have really enjoyed... (laughs) Yeah, See, I laugh in church. Um, <clears throat> I have really enjoyed this series called um, The Journey Home, and uh, we've done part one, part two, part three, and we've looked at the story of the prodigal son in many different ways. We've looked at it from the father's, uh, from the son's perspective. That was that first week that we said, hey, listen, maybe we could take this story and just look it from the lens of the son. And I think that uh, in the study of that, and I promise you, in my study and preparation for that, I was overwhelmed by the things that God did deposit within me, just looking at it from the son's. And then we turned it around and looked at it from the father's perspective. And and that was a a real neat um, perspective as well. And for us as we were fathers and mothers in the room, that was easy for us to see it. Um, Then the last one was more difficult for me, and I told you that last week. It was really difficult to see it from the brother's perspective. You know, the brother that wasn't happy for his lost brother to come home. The whole story that we find in the prodigal son is a brother who is lost, not just physically, but spiritually. He's away from his father. He's separated. And to be the brother who wouldn't celebrate it, that his brother's home I don't know. I can't relate to that. I really cannot. Now, I can relate to having some hard feelings towards somebody that um, maybe I didn't want to be in their presence all the time and I didn't want them to be in my presence. I get it. But to not be able to celebrate for them to um, find rest in God. I don't know if I could do that. And so that was a difficult, it really was a difficult perspective to pull from. And I told you, we don't, as as home church, we don't want to be that way. We want to be the guys that are the first ones to celebrate someone's return. We want to be looking in expectation for someone who has been lost, um, who perhaps has been living life the way they want to live, to come home. That's our expectation. And uh, and we don't want to be like that, brother. Uh, we want to know, hey, we're going to celebrate. We're going to look forward to our brother return, and when they do get here, we are going to celebrate. It, it, within that story, within John chapter 15, we find those three stories. We talked about the lost sheep, we talked about the lost coin, and then the prodigal son. In that story, those stories in John chapter 15, we find that God really places value on you, all right? Let's just make sure that you know that. God sees value in you, and God places value on the soul of man. So much so that if you were the only one or if I was the only one, he would still come and die. Send his son to die on the cross for you and I. And there's this urgency because, I mean, the, the lost coin taught us a lesson that there's urgency. This woman stopped everything to look for that lost coin. And I believe that God in His our place as a church. Um, it's our place as believers. It's our place, place as the brother who's looking for the expectation for their brother to return. Is our place um, to be looking for the lost. It is, it's our job to have the urgency. Listen, time is ticking. Um, it is, um, listen, I know the Bible tells us that the return of Christ is gonna be like in the days of Noah, and that should blow your mind because you're like, wow, Noah's days must have been pretty wicked. It was. It was very wicked. Um, and we haven't as a nation, as, uh, as a world, haven't got to that point yet. Or Jesus would come, right? As in the days of Noah, uh, the things that were happening, hearts being evil continuously. And so there's urgency because I truly believe that Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. And I've been hearing that since I was 13 years old and I am 44. But we are one day closer. We're one year closer. We are closer to the coming of Jesus. And there should be some urgency in our voice in our actions to be reaching um, the loss. And um, we end it, I end it, part three, uh, with this thought, and that is that Jesus was so concerned about the loss that even the righteous couldn't understand it, and the righteous people made fun of him. Remember, I'll say this um, as long as you attend, the Pharisees, we give them a hard time, and the Sadducees and the scribes, we give them a hard time, but they were religious people, meaning that they loved God. They did their very best to please God, um, but they missed the mark in not being able to accept Jesus. Um, they couldn't see him as the Messiah, and they struggled really hard with that. And so these religious people begin to make fun of Jesus and call him names, and they call him a friend of sinners. What a name to be called. Call me, like I said, a friend of of sinner. And we talked about a story in Luke, Luke chapter 19, a, a story with Zacchaeus um, who ran before Jesus and he climbed up in a tree. And uh, we, we talked about that, right? I actually kind of sung the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, right? Um, and uh, we find that Jesus stops and he, I love it because sometimes if we're not careful, think about this, we want to get to a place so we can spectate but not be involved. And see Zacchaeus wanted to spectate. He wanted to be able to see Jesus for who Jesus was, but he didn't want Jesus perhaps to see him who he was. And so he got himself a little bit higher so he could see and spectate. And some of us, we want to do that. We'll find ourselves coming to church, we want to spectate not just to spectate what's happening in people's lives, just to be a part. Um, and, but we don't want God to like stop everything and go, you come down from that tree, I'm going to your house, buddy. What? Me? No, no, no. Go to her house. Go to his house. You know. But that's what happened to Zacchaeus. Jesus was like, no, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, I'm coming. And one of the statements that was made there was that all of a sudden the scribes and the Pharisees begin to complain. They're like, there he goes again. He's going to a house of a sinner. He's going to be a guest of a sinner. And all of a sudden, just couldn't understand that Jesus' heart was for the soul of man. And actually in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it'll be up on the screen today. And it says this, Jesus makes this statement. He says, for the son of man came to seek and save that which is lost. That was his goal. That was his heart. And uh, that was his mission. And, uh, And so here's part four today. So part three, part two, part one were great. Here's part four. I hope that we can walk away going, that was great too. If not, We'll have part five, right? So we'll try again. We'll try again. Um, but here's part uh, four. Welcome home. This is who we are. And so you guys have been coming for three weeks, and I've I look around, and there's a lot of you that have uh, been visiting. Attending. I don't like the word visiting because none of you are visiting. We are home. And, uh, and so some of us would be going, asking lots of questions like, what, what is the church really about? Okay, it's about Jesus. I get it. But I mean, really, what's the foundation and things like that? So um, we're going to get to some of that today. We're going to continue for the next two parts. And I don't want you to miss it because I think that this will help you. Um, in understanding what God is doing in and through us as, as, as a church. So I want you to turn your Bibles. We're going to go to Ruth. And uh, Ruth chapter 1, we're going to read 22 chapters, 22 verses, not chapters. Don't pass out on me. It's like, wow, I'm going to do my Bible reading for the next two months if he's going to read two or 22 chapters. Um, but we're going to read 22 verses. I want you to stay with me. Great story of a, of a return home, all right? This is, again, the journey home and welcome home. This is who we are. Ruth chapter one, verses one through 22 says this. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine uh, in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Get the picture. I have a family who all of a sudden there was a need that has come up within their life. And that need is we have no food. We have to find food. And so they went to sojourn in a country called Moab. Now, please understand, Moab is a wicked place. Um, This is a place where um, they were heathens. They worshiped many gods. They didn't worship um, the God of heaven. They worshiped many, many different gods. And um, so you got to keep that in mind. They left their place of home to go to a far country. Didn't we hear that story before? The prodigal son takes everything that he has and he leaves to go to a far country. Ah, maybe a, a similar journey. It says the, man, <clears throat> the name of the man was Imalek and the name of his wife was Naomi. And he had two sons and they were Molan, uh, Molon, Malan, sorry, Malan and, and Kilion. Um, and they were Ephorites uh, from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Imelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And these took, her two sons, took Moabite w- wives. Uh, the name of one was Ophah, and the other name was Ruth. And they lived there for about 10 years. And both uh, Melon and Kilion died so that the woman, which was uh, Naomi, was left without her two sons and her husband. And then, he, then she arose and with her two daughter-in-laws to return to the country from the country of Moab, for she had heard that in the fields of Moab, while she was working the fields where there was nothing, that God had visited his people um, and given them food. And so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go return each of you to your mother's house may the lord deal kindly with you as he as you have dealt with the dead and with me and the lord grant and let, <clears throat> the lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept and they said to her no we will return with you to your people but naomi said turn back my daughters Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Um, If you should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they have grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Boy, she's taking all the blame, isn't she? Verse 14. Um, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Ophah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth, she clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And, but Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death, parts parts me from you. And when Noah saw that she was determined, she's not going to leave me, to go with her, she said no more. And so the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's like, um, you know how it is. You've been in church when that one person, you're like, oh, hell must froze over. Uh, the roof may be caving in, you know, kind of deal. That's what's happening. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, Naomi showed up. And everybody in town is talking about her return. Verse 19, says this, So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and they came into Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? And so they said to him, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought, back, brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought me, calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth and the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. And God, we ask that you anoint our ears and our hearts to receive your word today. And God, I pray, I pray that we may see ourselves in these two women. Maybe we're Ruth today, but maybe we're Naomi. And maybe we are both on this return home. And I pray, Lord, that when we get home, that we will understand who we are. This is us. This is who we are. And God, I give you glory. I give you thanks for all that you're doing today. And let us know who this God is that we are worshiping and that we have the opportunity to be in relationship with. Father, we thank you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, we all say amen, amen. What a sad story, isn't it? I mean, this is a sad story. It goes from bad to even worse. She loses her husband. She loses two of her sons, both of her sons, only sons, she loses them both. It's a story of a man who makes a decision to provide for his family that in hindsight, think about this, was not the best one. (laughs) Has any of us in this room made a decision, hopefully for the betterment of our family, for the betterment of us, maybe it was a job decision, maybe it was relationship, maybe whatever it may be, but hindsight we look at it and go, wow, that might not have been the best decision Um, At all. And perhaps just like the the prodigal, the story of the prodigal son, um, this family too took a journey from their home to another country and worshiped many gods. Now, I need you to understand something here. I don't, again, I don't think that was the thought um, for Imelech. I think Imelech was trying to provide for his family Um, and he made a decision that perhaps wasn't the best decision, hindsight. And, uh, and I want you to hear this this morning. I really feel like this is what God deposited within my spirit to give to you. And, and it is simply this. Be careful of what you give up. It may just cost you your life. Not physically, but spiritually. Be careful what you give up. Because it may cost you your life. I had the opportunity to be in uh, after the offering. I got to go to the children. For some of you who may not know, I I'm missing in action. Action um, at the beginning of service because I go back to our children and I have the opportunity to teach a message. And today, um, Charlie was my uh, helper and she picked this little bottle of um, slime. It was so funny. She was so thrilled, and all the kids were like, my mom hates slime. It's <laughs> like all moms hate slime. You know, <laughs> every mother in there is like, I wish they quit getting slime for gifts. Um, and so she picked it and she gave it to me, and she's smiling real big because she thought, How are you going to say anything about Jesus out of this slime? And then it just dawned on me of a story by a, about a, a father. Um, his name was Jacob. And Jacob had many sons. And at the end of his life, he begins to bless each of his sons, he begins to bless their lives. And he gets to Reuben. And he's like, Reuben, you're handsome. I mean, you look just like Pastor Jerry. You're strong. You have all the talent in the world. You have all the ability. You're going to do great things, but... There's that but. But you'll never succeed in life because you're unstable as water. And I was like, oh, Reuben had no boundaries. He would form to anything. And just like that slime... I mean, once that slime was in that little container, it conformed to the container. You pull it out, and you can make it conform to anything else. And for some of us today, once we begin to give up some areas of our life to conform to something else, to perhaps we think is bettering our family because we've taken a second job, but because you've taken a second job, you've given up time with your family. And I got to tell you, you can't buy time, and you gave up time, so that you think that you're providing for your family and maybe you are and maybe it's just for a season, I pray. But man, you've got to be careful because once you say yes to something, you've got to say no to something. So when you say something else to put on your plate, you've got to say no to something and typically it's your family that you say no to. And so be careful because once you give up something it's a great opportunity for you. It will cost you your life or perhaps even spiritually. You'll begin to conform is what I'm trying to tell you. It'd be like Jesus looking at you, man, you got all the tools in the world, but you won't be successful because you have no boundaries for, for your life. You, you're not able to perhaps say no. The story gets worse, right? Not only does Naomi lose her husband, but she lose her sons and, and now she has the responsibility of two other ladies. And uh, she's left with these heathens of of daughter-in-laws. And some of you may have daughter-in-laws like, I got heathens as well. Or maybe it's like, my mother-in-law thinks I'm a heathen. And so um, I don't know how that looks. But here's Naomi, no, uh, no husband two daughter-in-laws that she's trying to take care of, and she makes a decision. Now think about it. Remember, the prodigal son made a decision as well. In the pig pen, he makes a decision. My father is better at his house than it is here. I mean, the servants are, are treated much better than I am being treated as a servant in this pig pen. I'm going home. Naomi makes the same decision. Remember, the first decision made by her husband affected her. Now this decision is made by her. Think about that. The first decision, she had no say in it. The second decision, she had say. And she was like, you know what? I'm going back home. And she takes this journey. Now, we also know that she tries very hard to convince her daughter-in-laws to stay. Hey, listen, once you go back to your mother's, uh, once you stay where it's comfortable, stay where it's familiar, stay where you know how things work and how things happen and that you can be provided for. And, uh, and she tries. And obviously, uh, one, um, she succeeds, succeeds in one. Ofa stays. She goes back home. But not Ruth. Ruth refuses and says, I'm going to go with you. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says this. It says, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And where you be buried, may the Lord do do so to me. And more also, if anything, put to death, parts me from you. Ruth makes a powerful statement to Naomi. She said, listen, don't, don't try to get me to stay. I am going home. I'm taking this journey with you. It's familiar to you. You know where you're going. I don't. So I am going to follow you. And don't you even try to stop me because I'm I mean, unless death departs us, I'm staying with you. And the Bible says that we find that this relationship grows pretty tight and and they make this journey back to Bethlehem. Now, I need you to understand the journey home consisted of two people, obviously Naomi and Ruth. Naomi was a child of God. She was from Bethlehem. She was an Israelite. Ruth was a heathen. She was a Moabite. Now, I need you to understand today. um, I believe that in this building, there are Naomi's and there are Ruth's. And you're like, oh, pastor, my name is not Ruth. Don't you call me that. Uh, Or Naomi. No, no, no. I'm just giving some comparison here. I want you to think about this today. In this room, there's Naomi's and there are Ruth's. You see, Naomi's are those who have been in church all of their life. They know how church is to look, they know how church is to work, they know how church functions. They know how to play the church, and they know how to be play the part. You see, they know the journey back home. But they journeyed away from God, made a decision to go. Now Ruths, those roofs, they didn't grow up in church. They don't have a clue of what church is like. They don't know what church is supposed to look like. They don't know the functioning of church. Why do people raise their hands? Why do not not raise? Why is she crying? Why is she not crying? I mean, we don't have a clue of what's happening within church because we've never been to church. Why is uh, there something happening up there? I'm not for sure what that is, but that's kind of freaky. What's going on? Because they've never been in church or never been to perhaps that type of church. And so there's a lot that's happening. And so for Ruth, man, I got to tell you, I got to give it up to her because she's pretty bold to say, hey, wherever you go, Naomi, I'm going with you. Your God will be my God. She has no clue what she's in store for. She has no idea. And in this room, I believe, there are the Ruth's, there are the Naomi's. There's a Ruth that really didn't grow up in church. Maybe you, you attended church every now and then. Maybe you um, visited on Easter or Christmas because you had a friend that invited you, but church wasn't your thing. But now you have journeyed home with some Naomi. <laughs> Somebody invited you, and you're like, I don't know how to get there, but I'll follow you, Naomi. I want your God to be my God. For Ruth, everything was new. She was willing to learn. After all, Listen to this. After all she experienced, everything that she has experienced knew would be a good change for her. <laughs> Think about that. For all that, that Ruth has experienced up to this point, losing her husband, losing her father-in-law, not having anyone to provide, been working in the field, and still not having enough to meet the means. And she's like, knew would be a good change, a good pace for me. And so she makes that decision to go home. But Naomi, can you imagine going back to Bethlehem for her? For going home for Naomi, it was almost as though, just like the prodigal son, could have felt like a failure, uh, made a bad decision. She makes a statement. I went out full and came back empty. I mean, wasn't that the prodigal son's issue too? He went away with everything that his father was given to him for his inheritance and came back with absolutely nothing Didn't have his robe. He didn't have his ring. He didn't have any sandals or anything. He came back very empty. And so for Naomi, home looks different though. It wasn't like it was when she came home. I want you to think about that just for a moment. When Naomi leaves, she's been gone for more than 10 years. um, And we find that when she came back, home is different. Church is different. And if you've ever perhaps been in the church rim for any of the next, last 20 years, you see that church has changed a lot. Um, obviously, I have an orange sweater. Go OSU. Did I say that? That's not what I meant. I mean, fall... It's like I have a fall, fall sweater up here um, on. Um, and typically, you would not go to a church with a pastor who was not wearing a suit. I mean, that was, you go 20, 20 years ago, and every preacher had a suit on. So church does look a little different at times. I mean, you walked into the foyer today, and there was donuts. The, I'm mean, well, There wasn't donuts, was there? Uh, donut shop had closed. So, uh, I mean, who needs Thanksgiving break off? Come on, they should have made donuts. Uh, Daylight donuts, if you hear me, if you're watching this. We missed your donuts. All right. They are here. So, <laughs> Jessica, uh, we missed your donuts. You should have been working. No, I'm joking. Um, but church looks a little different. It really does. Um, and, and I have to believe is for the good. There are some things that, um, that aches me a little bit, um, because I grew up old school, but there are some good changes in the church realm that I'm so thankful for. I think that the, the mentality or the perspective of leaders have changed on those who are lost. I'm thankful for that. Um, I'm thankful for the good feeling that you feel when you come into our building today, um, and, uh, and, and, other churches as well, because it has, it has changed. So welcome home welcome home. For all the Naomi's and the Ruth's, welcome home. This is who we, we are today. I have had many um, ask me, what type of church are you? <laughs> I love it. I love, I mean, we have been, since August, I've had people say, hey, what kind of church are you? And what they're asking is, they're asking this. Um, I mean, like, are you Baptist? Um, like, are you Pentecostal? <laughs> are you charismatic? Um, are you Methodist? Are you Presbyterian? Are you Catholic? Are you are right, Jehovah's Witness? What are you? I mean, they're just asking because, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you've been to church or not to church. We begin to categorize churches by denominations. That's what we do, and uh, and so. Um, and, it would, and the list can continue on of all the well-known uh, denominations this morning. If I wanted to list all the denominations to say, "Hey, where do you fall in? Uh, where, where's your fit? What's your, your doctrine?" and um, and my response has been this: We are absolutely a church who loves Jesus, and I know that that sounds cliche. Well, everybody loves Jesus. I mean, so does the Baptist, right? So does absolutely. Uh, we do love Jesus. We absolutely love Jesus, and once all that he has for us. And that's my encouragement to you. It will always be to push you, to challenge you, to say, not only do I love Jesus, but I want all that God has to offer me. Everything that he has as a child of God. You remember the the brother that was home? Prodigal son leaves, but the brother was home and, and his father's response was, you have always been with me. Everything I have is yours. And so I'm like, I'm kind of the the brother who wants to stay home and go, God, give me everything you've got. (laughs) I mean, whatever you have, I want to enjoy whatever you have. And not only as for me as an individual, but for my family and for us corporately and for us as a community. I want all that God wants for us as a community, as a town. What God wants for us as corporately as a church and individual families. God, help us to do that. So my answer is we are a non-denominational church um, but my conservative roots. So you need to understand where I come from. I grew up in an, an old—I um, say old—that sounded bad. I grew up in a um, Pentecostal background church that um, was very, very, very strict in a lot of areas, and uh, and so I'm thankful for those roots. But as I've grown up, I'm, I see a lot of things a lot different. And, uh, and so I need, you, I need you to know that and understand that as we move forward, as we begin to tell you this is who we, who we are. And so as a non-denominational church, I mean, obviously my views are going to come from a um, conservative background of Pentecostal roots. Um, it's just the kind of the way it is. And I believe, I want you to hear me, I believe that there are those who grew up Baptists um, that will attend here, and they will feel comfortable. I believe that there are those who, who uh, uh, grew up Pentecostal. They will attend, and they will feel comfortable. There will be those who grew up Methodist, and they will come here, and they will feel comfortable and challenged like all of us to have all that God has for them. Um, I believe that there will be heathens that will attend those who never grew up in church at all, and um, perhaps we all know them. And I'm like, whoa, I am so glad that they're here. Because remember, we're excited about people coming to our church that are sinners. And like, oh, they're here. I'm so glad that they're here. And I believe they will come, and they will feel comfortable, and they will be challenged to experience God in all that he has for them. And I want you to know that we are focused, and we'll always be focused um, on living a committed relationship with jesus christ we're gonna we're gonna push you we're gonna challenge you uh, to live a committed relationship with jesus christ where you are passionate about loving god doing good and being a friend but i needed you to know this listen um i believe that denominations are good they're great communities so i'm not dogging any we have some really good churches in our community some really, really good churches. And I would never dog um, denominational groups. So please understand that. I, I was a part of a denomination as an ordained minister for many, many, many years. So I wouldn't knock that. They're great communities. But I also believe that, that unknowingly, the, communi- the denominational boundaries have unknowingly caused a divide within God's people. I hate that. I hated that denominational boundaries and doctrinal statements have put a divide within the big church, the big C, the capital C um, among God's people in itself. Because it reminds me of this. You ready for this? It reminds me of a story of Jesus. Jesus with his disciples and uh, and, and Jesus' name has really gone big. I mean... His name has been in the lights and many of the town's marquees. And, and so he was asking all of his disciples, said, hey, and the multitude, hey, what do they say about me out there? Who did they say that I am? And some of them replied back to him like, well, I mean, some of them are saying that you're the prophet like Elijah. I mean, they don't know who you are. And they're like, he's got to be Elijah. He's got to be a license. He's got to be all. I mean, this, they're, just, um, they're just saying a lot of different people that you might be. They don't know who you are. And Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And, and all of a sudden, Peter, we know Peter to be the guy that, um, you know, just steps up and says what he wants to say. And so this time he did it right. And he's like, hey, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in that moment, Jesus looks at him and he's like, you're right. No one could have revealed this but my father in heaven. And so this is the way I see it in our society today. You ready? Everybody today is trying to figure out who Jesus is. Like, who's Jesus? Oh, he's Baptist. I know he is. (laughs) I mean, who's Jesus? He's Methodist. I know he's Methodist. Um, Who's Jesus? Oh, he's a simile of God. I know, I know Jesus has to be a simile of God. He's, listen, my prayer is for you and I to get a revelation of who Jesus is, just like Peter. Why can't we do that? Why can't we as a church say, you know what? Um, We just want a revelation of who Jesus is, in our relationship with him because it becomes a committed relationship that God reveals to us who Jesus truly is. He's not a Baptist. Oh, I know. You're saying, well, his, I mean, his cousin was. I mean, John the Baptist, right? Oh, you didn't get that, but that's all right. Um, I mean, surely Jesus was if John was a Baptist. Okay, never mind. Um, Let's just move on. And so Jesus um, says to Peter, he said, I want to say that he patted him on the back and said, man, I'm so thankful that God, my Father, revealed to you exactly who, who I am. I want to tell you this today, is that I believe that, um, that God will reveal Jesus to you and I individually. And I believe that he will show us some great things of who he is and what he could do within our lives as a church. And, and I want to take you to Proverbs chapter 28, and verse 18, and again, as we go into um, who we are uh, today. This is who we are. Welcome home, all the Ruth's and Naomi's. Welcome home. I love how Ruth says to Naomi, I want your God to be my God. And what she's saying to, Naomi, to Ruth at the time, I have no clue who your God is. I don't know how it works. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know my expect, or his expectations out of me. And so you have to teach me. And so today, I want you to know, how does the world, how do you, how do I ever come to a revelation of who God is if someone's not helping us? Like, how would, how would Ruth ever know who God was if Naomi never showed up on the scene? If Naomi never allowed her to come with her? How Would Ruth ever experience who God, Jehovah, Jireh, uh, Yahweh ever was if it wasn't for Naomi? And so I think that there's a good relationship between the Naomis in this building and the Ruths in this building. I believe that there was this moment that we can help you and teach you and the revelation of who God is. Proverbs chapter twenty-eight verse eighteen says this, and we're going to read it in four different versions. And the reason being because they're all a little different and I want to help you today. Um, Proverbs chapter 28 verse 18 is a verse that mostly you will hear during January. Pastors will get up here and say something like this. We have a vision for the church in the 2022 year and we want to share this with you. And they would read Proverbs chapter 28 verse 18. It says this, where there is no vision, the people perish But he that keepeth the law happy is he. And the pastor would say something like this. We have to have a vision for the church. And our vision is, and whatever it is, we're going to build a new building. We're moving. And everybody shouts and yells and says, (laughs) woo-woo, we're moving. But really, there's more to this. So let's read it a little bit more. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 18 in NIV. That last one was King James. NIV says this. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom and instructions let's read it out another version let's read it out the nlt it says this when people do not accept divine guidance guidance they run wild wow don't we see that happening but whoever obeys the law is joyful let me read that one more time when people do not accept divine guidance they run wild but whoever obeys the law is joyful Let's read it out of the ESV. I do a lot of my reading out of the ESV. I really like this, this version. Virgin, virgin. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And I love, I love this scripture because there's more to it than just a vision for the church, all right? There is a lot more here than just casting a vision for 2022 because I really don't think that that's what it's talking about here. What I find that in the Old Testament, what we know to be true is that there were prophets in the Old Testament that God would speak into their lives and through them to his people. God would give them a revelation And in that moment of revelation, they would speak that revelation to God's people to give them guidance, to give them direction, to bring them back into obedience. And so what we find here is that perhaps the Bible is telling you where there is no ministry, people will perish. Whereas there is no prophetic word going forth into the life of people. Now, don't get weird out when I say prophetic word. The Bible is prophetic. And when there's preaching of God's word, it's prophetic. So when there's this word that goes forth to his people, and if it's not received, it perishes. The people will perish. And so I believe that there is a a need. There is a need today in our lives, in our community, for churches, for individual people to be able to say, you know what? I want to be a mouthpiece for God. I want to be able to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And I want to get it out there because I know that if I can be the mouthpiece of God and bring revelation to people, that all of a sudden they will be blessed. Because it tells us that when they obey that, they are blessed. And so today, people will perish if there's not a church that is doing ministry. And I told you over and over, I am so excited to partner with the churches in our community who is going forth and who have ministry provided to our community who are reaching the lost. Oh, Amen. it's going to be so exciting to continue to partner with them to reach the lost because where there is no revelation, where there is no vision, people will perish and so let us, as we move forward, let, let all the Naomi's, let all the Ruth, Ruth's know today that this church will be one that will be prophetic in the sense of preaching God's word and, and, and ministry uh, from our children to our youth to us as adults. Um, there will be ministry going forth because where there is no ministry, people will truly perish. Um, Romans chapter Verse chapter 10, verse 14 says this, and I love this uh, verse, and, and, and perhaps this is what I remember as a young child that just perhaps got me. And it says this, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, it says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will Ruth ever know about God if there wasn't a Naomi? How would you and I, our lost friends and family in our community here in Tecumseh, how will they ever know if there's not someone That they can call on or talk to. And how will they believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? There are three different questions being asked to you and I today in Romans chapter 10. The questions are this. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How can they reach out to God who they don't have a clue about? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard. And the third one is, how are they to hear without someone who preaches? And I know what you're saying, right? You're saying, well, preacher, that's your job. <laughs> that's what you get paid the big bucks to do, is to stand up on that, that uh, uh, little stage that you have in the pulpit and preach God's word and go into our community and reach the, the waitresses and the waiter and, and, and all those guys for the Lord. That's your job. No, no, no. That's our job. That's your job individually. You see, you are to let your light so shine before men yeah, so that it glorifies our Father. And so I think that you and I today, we need to be reminded that these three questions are so important for us because they are answered by you. You are how they will know. Preachers will be how they will know. And you are individual preachers. Well, Pastor, I just don't preach the word. No, no. You tell the good news of Jesus and what he has done, and you have preached the best message that you'll ever preach. And it gives revelation to people. Luke chapter 14, this morning, verses 16 through 23. I'm going to give a, a, a read real quickly, and then we're going to get to four different things that I want to share with you. And they will be quick, I promise you. This is who we are. Welcome home. This is who we are. Luke chapter 14 tells a beautiful story. It says, but he said to him, a man once had a, a great banquet and invited many. Kind of like we did last night. We had ten slabs of ribs. Anybody want a slab of ribs? Too bad. No, I'm joking. You guys are like, ah, I'm in for it, I'm in for it. Oh, joking, joking. Verse 17, says, And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. And But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, but I must go out to see it. And, and please... Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a beautiful wife, and and therefore I cannot come. And so the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the streets, to the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And he said, And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and there is still room for one. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and to the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. I want this to be our, I won't say our, our, our slogan, but I want this to be the thing that, that fuels us is this story, a story of a, a master who, had a a party and invited so many and they all made excuses. And finally he says, listen, I don't care who this party was perhaps intended for. I want people here. So go out to the lame. Go out to the sick. Go out to the blind. Get them. Bring them in. And then there was this, hey, there's still more room. And then go out to the highways and the hedges and go out To them and compel my people to come. And today I believe that you and I are that prophetic voice. I think that you and I today are that opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ through a lips of love. I I want you to know that. I think that we can speak truth into the life of people. I was telling this to our leadership before you got here today, and I was saying I believe that you and I can speak the truth, the truth being God's word, truth that is hard to handle sometimes, truth that does hurt, truth that um, doesn't settle very well with us at times. We're like, I don't know if I see it that way, but that's what God's word says, so I have to believe it. Um, That truth, I believe that we can actually speak that into the lives of people through love, and they'll accept it. I do believe that there's an approach, that we can approach people. And I pray that you will always know my heart. Last week, um, I told you, I hope that you know my heart. You know me enough to say that I will never say anything to hurt you. I may say things to challenge you. And I will always read God's word. That is absolute truth. And it may pierce you. It may hurt you. But ultimately, it didn't come from me. I just this God's mouthpiece reading his word. And and I think that you and I today, we are the ones that are going into the highways and the hedges in the Bible. and we are compelling people to come, come home. Come home, journey home with me. Let me be your Naomi. You don't know the way. I do. Um, You can be my Ruth, and it's okay because people don't care where you came from. They don't care what you've been through. They don't care what you've done. They're just so excited that you're home, that you're home. Just come home because my father, they have prepared a big party for you. Just come home. I'm sick. Just come home. I'm lame. It's okay. Come home. I'm blind. Just come home. The highway, the hedges, and the byways are three different social groups. I don't know if you knew that. But when you study that out, you'll find out that there are three social groups. Churches would do this. Back in the day when I was kids, and you could do this too, Um, you can look around and you can find that if you're not careful, churches will focus on one kind of group, social group. You'll have... um, the cowboy church. (laughs) They focus on just the cowboys. Um, Not bad. Not throwing any stones. Um, You will have the church that you know that focus on youth, and their youth group is huge, but the church may be small, and they have this constant desire to reach this youth. You find churches that reach mostly the poor people. You have churches that are more the high class. You're like, I don't know if I ever fit in there because they're high class. They're smart people. I don't have a doctorate, and all those guys have doctorates at that church. It's just It happens that way. It's not, I don't think it was intentional. It just happens that way. But I think that what's so cool about God's word is that he loves a, a blended look. I, I think that churches can be filled with poor people and middle class people and wealthy people, smart people, not so smart people, people like me, not so smart. Um, I, I believe that churches can be filled with all those different social groups. That's what we see. So invite them. It's like, ah, I don't know if, um, I don't know if they'll fit in here. You don't know. Invite them. I, I think that's, that's what we do. Here's the four things. We are here as a church to lead people into a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll hear this over and over again, um, where they are passionate about loving God, doing good, and being a friend to the friendless. We'll do this one. Here's point number one. We're going to do it by living it. You say, what well, you mean, pastor? We're going to live it in front of them. We're going to live the aspect of loving God, doing good, and being a friend in front of people. So I hope that when you catch me out and about, if you ever get to work with me and I get to work with you, you'll say, man, pastor. Master truly lives it. He is loving God, loving people, doing good. He's being a friend. It's unreal. Uh, I love being around this because his, his attitude is contagious. And I hope that we can flip that around and say, man, I love working with you because your attitude is contagious because you're living it too. That doesn't mean that we don't mess up every now and then it is simply that we are trying our very best to live it. And we're going to do that by being involved in our community. And I keep saying that, but I'm telling you, in our community, uh, serving, uh, we want to be in places. We want to do ministry with no strings attached. We don't need glory. We don't need credit. Um, We don't need those things. We don't care if they come to our church or not. I want to be able to be uh, the community pastor. Um, This should be the community church in the sense that people could come to you and talk to you about things. And maybe they will attend a Baptist church because... That's where they grew up, and that's where they feel comfortable. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Or maybe they will attend uh, the Pentecostal Church of God. That's where they grew up. That's fine. That's not a problem. But you have to be the opportunity to be that Naomi uh, and speak into their lives and, 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 uh, and live it in front of them. Um, here's point number two is this. We will teach it. We will leave it. We will live it from the leadership down. I hope that you catch my wife and I being good, not bad. (laughs) I hope that you catch us all the time living out God's word. But I hope that you also catch us teaching it to you. And I think that's some of the greatest aspect of teaching is when you model it in front of people. And so from our leadership down, we will model what it looks like to live for God. That's what Tracy's doing right now to your children. You have placed your children in the hands of a great lady. And she loves God and she loves your kids. I can promise you that. And you're thankful that you could be in here while your kids are being in there and you don't have to be distracted by them. But they're learning about Jesus today. She's speaking into their lives. She's not only living it, but she's teaching it. And I think that's so important for us. I need you to know that today as a church, we will not only live it in front of our community, but we will teach it to our community. We will do our very best to continue to provide relevant information messages and programs for our community for our people for our our roots that come our Naomi's that come back home. We are going to do our very best to provide ministry for them because where there's no ministry people will perish. And so God help us to provide ministry so we can teach God's word to them. I believe today that this is the only thing that will sustain you in hard times and difficult times in the good times and the bad times and all those things, this is what's going to sustain you. I have watched over and over and over again in the lives of people that the people who weather the greatest, and the greatest storms in their lives are people who are rooted in God's Word, that don't just hear it for the preacher's sake, but they read it for their sake. And so I hope that I'm able to teach you from the pulpit not only God's Word, but teach you that you need God's Word for yourself, that you can read it, that you can study it, you can look it through in and out and apply it to your life because that's the most important thing for you. Here's the third thing, in that we want to release it. There are great opportunities on the horizon for you. And I know, I look around and I know some of you, and some of you I just know of, I don't know you yet. And I know that some, most of you that I know um, of, um, You want to be involved. You're already involved in our community. And so the church is just another place that you can be involved, that you can make a difference spiritually in the lives of people. And you want that. And I cannot wait to continue to see opportunities open for you to be involved, um, to see you, to release it to you. So we're going to to live it, we're going to teach it, and we're going to release it to you so you could do the same thing. And that's what we want to do um, is continue to release And that means that you take the ownership of it. You're like, hey, listen. um, If One of the things that, let me just give you an insight. Pastor Kelly, those who are coming to do worship can do it. One of the things that um, is hard for me is I don't do a very good job of delegating. I've done better lately. Josh, you'd be so proud of me. I've done really good. Um, But I've struggled. Uh, Growing up, man, I struggled. And, And I know that I can look back and pinpoint why. I've been such a dictator. Um, I know why I've been con- I became such a control freak. Um, and the reason being is when I was young, um, I-, I was hurt. Um, I was taken advantage of by a male cousin. And-, and so from that point on in my life, I felt like if I wasn't in control, I was going to get hurt again. And so it was a matter of-, of life and death for me. It was a matter of self-defense. It was a matter of if I'm in control, I don't get hurt. And so I became this control freak to a point where I think that I have to do it all. And, uh, and so I have, over many, many years, I've tried my hardest to figure those things out and figure myself out and, and change some of the areas of my leadership so that I release it so it empowers you and so that you become uh, a part of that process of living it, teaching it, and releasing it. Because that's important to you. You have to be involved. This is who we are today. We are a church who loves Jesus with their whole heart, living a committed relationship with him where we love God, we do good, and we are a friend to whoever. To whoever it is. And, thank and you I'd so be, much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more messages or find a service time, you can visit us at our website, homechurchtecumseh.com, for more information. And thank you again. And until next time, love God, do good, and be a friend. Be blessed.